For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, on this week's episode, I'm joined by IndyCar drivers James Hinscliffe and Marcus Erickson. As you'll find out, hockey isn't the only sport I'm passionate about, and it was super cool comparing and contrasting what we do as professional athletes. Marcus grew up in Sweden playing goalie and Hinch is from Toronto, so these guys are true hockey fans that know the game well. Thanks to Dan Layton of Honda Performance Development and Veronica Knowlton of Aero Schmidt Peterson Motorsports for making this happen. Hit the gas. Sitting to my right, driving the number seven Aero Schmidt Peterson Motorsports Honda, Mr. Marcus Erickson, welcome. Thank you. And to my left, driving the number five Aero Schmidt Peterson Motorsports Honda, Mr. James Hinchcliffe, hailing from Oakville, Ontario, right? Yes, Which sir. is really Toronto. Right? It's, yes, it's essentially you know, Toronto, yeah. Yeah, and that's where kind of where this whole comes from today because Hinch, you being Canadian, Marcus, you being Swedish, but also having a background in hockey. Give us a little bit into what you've done with the sport previously. Yeah, so I, I started, you know, coming from Sweden. Obviously, hockey is, is a very big sport there, probably the biggest, I would say. And then I started as a kid with, with hockey with my friends. And I was actually playing all the way up until I was 16 uh, as a goalie. So, so yeah, I, I love the sport. And even after I stopped with it, because I had to choose, you know, what career to go after between the racing and, and the hockey. And uh, even when I stopped, uh, you know, I've been following it really closely and, you know, in Sweden, obviously, but also the NHL. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Hinch, you being Canadian, how big was hockey for you growing up? I mean, you gravitated towards racing, but you're probably a demon in the streets, I'd imagine, with the stick, right? (laughs) No, it's funny, man, because my introduction to hockey was actually a little bit later than most Canadian kids because my dad is actually from England. So my dad wasn't a hockey fan. So I didn't grow up with a dad that put me down in front of the TV to watch hockey, you know, Hockey Night in Canada or whatever. Right. Uh, it wasn't until I got to school and started making friends. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Everyone else is playing this game, following this game. So I was a little late to the party in that sense. And by that point, I was kind of already getting into karting and was sort of focused on that side of it. So I, I never played I never played on ice, played a lot of street hockey for sure. Um, and yeah, now like Marcus, I mean, follow it religiously and uh, try to keep up with the antics of the lease, you know, as, as closely as I can from Indiana. Well, let's get the obvious questions out of the way. Marcus, how are Swedish meatballs? Do you have a good family recipe for us? Let's get the cliches out of the way here. They are the best, of, yeah, of course. course. But, you yeah. know, you can always go to Ikea. You know, there's Ikea's everywhere in Indianapolis where I go quite a bit. So, yeah, it's, it's Are they great, pretty good yeah. in Ikea? I mean, are they, they up to standards, job? really? Like, can you get lingonberry uh, stuff, too? You, you like? can get all the stuff with it, but, like... I mean, they're okay, but yeah. you should go to Sweden like have proper like homemade grandmas. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the way. And Hinch, how many Canadian tuxedos do you own? You gotta have a denim jacket. Yeah, I mean, you gotta have the light wash. You gotta have the dark wash for your more depending on your events. mood, right? Yeah, of course. Sure. No, yeah, you gotta you gotta know what crowd you're dressing for. Yeah. Okay, so you guys gravitated to racing, obviously, but Marcus, you mentioned how 
kind of had to make that choice. And I was the same way, like, not that I was any good at racing. I carted for a couple summers and I was really bad at it, (laughs) but I had that with baseball and other stuff. So when it came time for you to make the decision and move into racing, how hard was it to let hockey go and what let you know that racing was going to be the right path for you? It was super hard, to be honest. Like, I I loved hockey all my life and, you know, it was so much fun. Uh, And I was, you know, playing the hockey in the winters and then doing the go-karts in the summers and it was just sort of working out. But but as we know, know, at some point it sort of goes into each other you know and then the season gets gets longer and you know you have to sort of pick pick one sport and you know i went for the racing and you know i don't regret that obviously it worked out all right it worked out okay and i was for sure a better go-kart driver than a hockey goalie but but i still you know i i i miss it like the first couple years was really tough because i miss it a lot especially that feeling you know with the team you know you go on a bus trip to a away game or like you win the game together you know that feeling is it's a very special feeling uh, which I think is, is so strong in, in hockey, and, and I miss that a lot uh, when I stop. But, uh, but yeah, uh, now I'm just a happy fan, and you know I try and follow it as much as possible. I watch way too much hockey. Yeah, he, <laughs> watches, he watches a lot of it. Yeah, he puts uh, me to shame how much so, hockey he watches. So yeah, but, but it was tough at the time, for sure. So do you guys feel like, though, even racing, I look at it, where there's a driver, there's a team, there's engineers, there's all your mechanics... Do you still have that feeling of team and camaraderie, though? Because the driver can't do everything, right? you got to have a good team behind you if you want to end up on the podium. Do you guys feel that as well? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Racing's a team sport. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there's one driver in the car, sure, but that's just one job that has to be executed perfectly on a Sunday to win a race. There are six guys over the wall. There are five engineers setting the car up. There are guys back at the shop building the cars, building the components. And one of those people doesn't do their job, and the team doesn't win. Uh, it's it's a bit different, I think, because all all the all the mechanics and engineers aren't out on track with you, experiencing the same thing you are. And I think that kind of is what Marcus is talking about. When you're on the ice, you're out there with the people, and so you've got a little bit of a different bond. Not closer, not further away in that sense, but it's just uh, it's probably a little bit different. Do you yeah. feel a little bit of a kinship with goalies though? Because one, you were one, but it's kind of similar how you're on an island in the crease, it, and when you're a driver, it's it's a bit yeah, it's a bit something into that actually because. I think that was why I like to be a goalie as well, because I, I like to be that sort of, you know, as a goalie, you're the one who makes or breaks a game. That's you know, right. like It's you, either you your fault, yeah. Like, yeah, you won the whole exactly. thing, there's yeah. no yeah. in between, you and, can't and hide. It's, it's yeah. a bit, like I say, it's a bit like the racing driver, you know, you have a big team around you, and like James yeah. says, you, you're nothing without your team, but in the end, you know, you're the one that's like, uh, can, can make the biggest difference uh, out there, and it's a bit the same in hockey with the goalie, so. Yeah. Well, there's one thing that you guys have that's a really cool tradition in racing that I wish we had more of in hockey is that you guys swap helmets with other drivers a lot. Yeah. And I think it's something I even, I think in passing mentioned to you once that I wish I would have gotten more helmets from teams, like copies of them. Like a lot of times you just get one mask, right? right. Is that something that you guys start pretty early to do? And how's your personal collections right now? <laughs> well, uh, I, I mean, I started probably my second year in IndyCar. So second year, it's, it's hard to do it. Before you get to this level, you only have one helmet a year, maybe one for every two years. That's you us know. as goalies, right? right. I, had four, I had one for four years in college. <laughs> right, exactly. It looks like I threw it off a semi on the highway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but hit with callous number of pucks. And right. Yeah, so same thing Same thing for us. But once you get to this level, you know, they usually you get help with getting more helmets. The, the, the helmets take a much bigger beating on oval tracks at the speeds that we go. So you have to go through a couple of years. So yeah, I started trading with guys. And man, I've, I've got a good collection growing. We've got a we've got a swap plan at the end of the season, so I'll get my Marcus Erickson on on the shelf, which I'm excited about. Uh, but yeah, I probably have I don't know twelve or 
12 or 14 of other guys' lids. So yeah. that's about it, my that's about my collection from all the teams I've been on. Yeah. I've been such a suitcase, yeah. you know. Like, I feel like Connor Daly and I are kind of like spirit animal brothers. You know what I mean? Like I'm like the layover guy, just bring them in for a year. Yeah. So you've got a good collection. No, but that's the thing. I'm pretty jealous on, on James here because I I agree there with like the junior series. You don't really have that many to swap, you know, because you don't have yeah you have maybe one or two per year. So I always kept them. But then in, in Formula One, I didn't really do it for. For many years, like it was just the last year that I did a couple of swaps with, with my best friends from F1 when I knew I was leaving the series. So mm-hmm. I, I wish I did some more uh, over the years, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm gonna pick it up more and more now. Yeah, it's a, that's a pretty cool thing to have, you know. 100%, like, talk yeah. about a conversations piece when you walk in and see it on the wall. That's my basement right now. Yeah, Hinch, I think you and I have something in common why racing got in our blood, and obviously, I ended up in hockey, but. People always ask me now who my favorite driver is, and I say it's everybody because I am so impressed and respect everything you guys do, and I'm a fan of the sport. But when I was a kid, it was Greg Moore. Mm-hmm. And I know that you wear red gloves still because of him, right? What mm-hmm. influence did he have, obviously, being a Canadian on you as a driver? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was it was easy to kind of gravitate towards Greg. You know, he got into IndyCar I, uh, this, the year before I started karting. So I was already a big fan of the sport. I mean, from way before I ever drove anything, you know, Dad and I would watch Formula One races Sunday mornings, IndyCar races Sunday afternoons, and that was just life. And uh, so, you know, right when I started getting into racing myself, you know, Greg was making ways in IndyCar. He was Canadian, so easy to cheer for. He was such a nice guy. He was he was a badass buying the wheel. He was really fast at a young age. He's a hockey player. And he too. was a goalie, you yeah. Know, he right, he had the same challenge that, you know, yeah. that you guys had, had to make a decision between hockey and, uh, and racing. And, um, and so, yeah, so for me, it was just, he was, he was such a nice guy off the track. He was somebody everybody respected. And so as a young kid, he was such an easy guy to follow and such an easy guy to want to emulate. And, uh, and you know, when obviously he uh, was killed in an accident in 99, it had a huge impact on me. It had a huge, huge effect on a lot of people because he was just this really sort of magnetic personality that people were really drawn to. And, uh, and it was hard, but, um, you know, his, his spirit lives on, and like you said, I'm, I'm one of many people that wear red gloves. You know, every time they get in a car in honor of Greg, and um, it's actually coming up on on 20 years. So it's uh, it's crazy how much time flies. You know, it's it's something that us in hockey, you know, we come back from injuries all the time, right? And what we do though doesn't have any major consequence a lot of time compared to what you guys do. It's a dangerous sport. You guys all know that when you step up to do this stuff, and that's part of the reason why I can't fathom doing what you do. Hence, from your perspective, coming back from a major injury at Indianapolis like you did several years ago, how do you shelve that and come back and do your job as an open-wheel driver? Because for us, it's just a matter of getting back and playing. I mean, you were in a very serious medical condition. I was, yeah. But I think uh, I think athletes in general are just wired a little bit differently. you know. And I think if, if you or any other hockey player suffered an injury, however it happened on the ice, that was you know that level of severity – as soon as you were fit enough to get back on the ice, you'd lace up and you get back on the ice. It's just, you know, for us, this isn't a job. This is a passion. This is our lives. And so you can get kicked down and, and that's fine. There are a lot of things, there's a lot of emotional damage that this sport does sometimes <laughs> that you have to bounce back from that's sometimes even harder than the physical stuff. So for us, you know, we obviously accept that there are risks involved and, and are willing to take those risks. Sometimes they bite you, but if you've got a chance to get back in it, I think nine guys out of ten would put on a helmet as soon as the doctor says it's okay. It's the first thing my dad told me when I got in a cart. And my dad was an SCCA champion, President's Cup, you know, like all those awards that Penske, Ray Hall, Vassar, they won. My dad won that. He was very good. And when he sat me into a cart, he said, Mike, this thing can bite you. 
and it never crossed my mind. It's a cart. You know, right, I, yeah. I think I'm going to Six Flags and putting around. And right. It really left an impression on me, though. Mm. Uh, to transition, though, like Marcus being a goaltender, I'm curious who you looked up to in the Nets and who you still really like to watch as a goalie. So my idols growing up was uh, Dominic Hasek. Uh, I was, yeah, watching him a lot. And, you know, every time as a kid when I was playing on the streets or whatever, I wanted to, to be him, you know, and, 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 and so he was a big inspiration. And then also Henrik Lundqvist, you know, and I've got the chance to meet him a few times to get to know him a little bit as well now. Uh, the last couple of years and you know so your buddies you just text back and <laughs> exactly, forth now right exactly no, that's not bad but he's he's like you know obviously for being a Swedish Swede and, and you know uh, hockey is so big in Sweden and Henrik is such a great ambassador for the sport you know and, and also for the goalies so uh, yeah, that's probably my two that I would pick goalies were always gear nerds so for did sure. you have a preference for a certain company when you were playing uh Good question, actually. Hank's a Bauer guy. I'm a Bauer guy. I had had Bauer, I think, was the last kit I had before I stopped was Bauer. I think I I was really excited. I'd won Christmas. You know, I got the whole Bauer, the new Bauer kit or whatever, you know. Did you sleep with it? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Standard, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that was was pretty pretty cool. And I think that was the last kit I actually had before I stopped. You guys get to professional racing. It's a different game. But when you're younger, a lot of people don't know the route that you have to take to get there. It's tough to do it. Because first, you have to be good. Second, you have to have sponsorship from somebody somewhere. And knowing both your backgrounds, how difficult was it to get through that and to get over the hump into professional racing, you know, without coming for mega money in the back? It was really tough. I think, you know, for me, coming from a normal Swedish family, it was, it was a, you know, not a clear path. And also, my family was never involved involved in any motorsports so so you were blank sheet exactly yeah wow. so it was sort of difficult but i was lucky enough to have my dad that he sort of found the passion with with me so he was you know you know doing so much for me and then you know drove me around to the, all these go-kart tracks he was always my mechanic and helped me out and you know he he worked every weekend when he wasn't with me to try and get the extra money to to make it happen you know and and then go-karts was sort of our limit because there was no chance for us to take the step up but Luckily enough, I, I did enough good results in, in go-karts and was doing really well there that I got picked up by this management company that helped me to take the steps, you know. But it's, it's definitely, it's a very difficult sport, you know, because it's, it's so much more than just being a good driver. It's right. like, it's just one part of being a racing driver. And I think many other sports, if you're good enough, you will get right. by far, you know. But in motorsport, that's not the case. You can be the best driver in the world. But you will not. It doesn't mean that you will be an IndyCar driver or Formula One driver. So it is a very tough sport there, and you know, I'm, I'm very you know happy and proud that I'm where I am today. But it's it's very tough. You know? Hinch, was there ever a time that you thought this just isn't going to happen? Oh my God, all the time, like literally every year. Yeah. You know, you never knew if you were going to get another season because every one was so hard to put together at that age. You know, finding the money, getting the right team, the right opportunity, and the right series. I mean. Growing up over here, rather than in Europe, you know the the path was very unclear. Nowadays, they have kind of the the road to Indy. It's sort of a little more uh, structured in which series you go to. And for people with hockey, it's very similar. There's there's, there's a double A level, there's right. college junior, triple A level. You know, there's East Coast American League, NHL. Right. You have Indy Lights, what used to be Star Mazda. Right. You can't have, remember what it is now. Yeah, it's uh, Indy, Indy Pro 2000. Indy Pro 2000. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate um, that. That's why I only just figured that one out like two weeks ago. Uh, so, but no, but so uh, so back in the day, there were like five different series. None of them were really tied to anything. There was no prerequisites to go from one to another or whatever. 
And so the one of the big challenges every year for us was deciding where the most competition was going to be because that's where you wanted to race. Um, and so find, finding the money, finding the team, making the right decision on the series because you didn't want to waste a year in a series where there weren't a lot of good drivers because you might do well and have a lot of wins, but no one's going to care if you're not racing against anybody. And that's a lot of time and a lot of money lost if you're not racing against the best guys. So yeah, there was there was a lot of times, um, you know, I spent a long tenure in the, in the sort of Indy Lights level, like one below IndyCar waiting for that opportunity. But unlike the NHL or the NFL or NBA, there's not you know, a thousand or 1200 positions. IndyCar has 22, 23 full-time guys. So you could have a great season in Indy Lights, but if there's no openings and you don't have enough money to go, you know, essentially fund a new car, you got to go do Indy Lights again. And so that was kind of the, the, the cycle we got stuck in was a few years in lights waiting for that opportunity to open up. It finally did with Newman Haas. And, and even then, you know, you thought you made it, you have a great first season, you know, rookie of the year, think you're set. And then in December, the team's like, oh, we're closing. Sorry. And we're like, oh, cool. Back to no job again. And you had a beautiful car that year. Yeah. That silver and blue yeah. Sprout, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I remember at Toronto that year. I went to Toronto for that race. It's the second, uh, well, back then it wasn't Molson Indy, but whatever they called it now. Yeah. And I remember you and Paul Tracy banging wheels. Yeah. And the crowd's going bonkers. It's like the passing of the torch now. Yeah. Like, do you feel that as a Canadian, though, having the country behind you now? Oh, big time. I mean, I'm, I'm so, so lucky that we get to go race, not just in my home country, but quite literally my backyard. I mean, Becky and I have a condo now in Toronto that we can walk to the racetrack. And uh, ever since I made it to IndyCar, the support from back home has been incredible. And uh, it's grown every year. The event, day, you know, the race in Toronto has grown every year. It took a hit in 08. It was off the schedule with the merge between IRL and CART. Um, but it's been coming back strong and Honda's a huge part of that with all the support they've given. And yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky to have that kind of support from back home. And you briefly glossed over. Congratulations on your recent marriage. Yes. Thank you. You're married. You. That's great. That's yeah. uh, it's, it's all downhill from here, man. Pretty much. You know. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you, you I know, got, well, I got two little demons that are three and six and yeah. they, they've, they've guided every decision I've had to make for the last seven, <laughs> you know, six years. It yeah. seems like now, but there's one part about motorsports that I don't think hockey people understand and that we can learn from. You guys are so good with the media, but your commitments are nonstop. So, like, Marcus, you coming from F1 to IndyCar, was there a big difference in the amount of media attention you received in and out of the car on a race weekend? I think probably Formula 1 is even a bit more. Uh, I think we have a lot of in, in, in IndyCar as well with the media and everything, and, you know, a lot of events uh, around the races. So I think, you know, I, I learned a lot in Formula 1 that I can have with me when I get here to IndyCar. But I think you know touching on what you said it's like it's very interesting to look at our sport and you know you see before a race for example on the grid it's packed it's people everywhere it's fans it's sponsors it's media it's people coming up up to you constantly and this is like 15 minutes before we're racing imagine that in hockey imagine in the locker room before the game it would be full of fans media sponsors all like some of them on the drinks and uh, oh, you know, yeah. you know, well, stumbling and over, selfies, and you don't, exactly. you don't want to turn somebody off. No, either. you don't want them to have we, a bad we cannot, interaction. Yeah, we can because you know, and and that's the thing that's so special with our sport, and and also requires a lot from us drivers because you know we need to be there, you know, and and do all these things. But then like, you know, okay, ten minutes ago. Helmets on, you put the kit on, and then it's like, all right, we go. You got to be able to flip that switch <laughs> yeah. really quickly. And it's, it's, like, racing is really unique, right? Because we're obviously very reliant on sponsorship, more yeah. so than a lot of other sports. And let's say there's a company that sponsors a hockey team, right? They sponsor the team or the, the arena or whatever. In that agreement, they'll have, you know, four player appearances as part of the deal. So you can look at your team and you can pick four guys that one day at a time will go off and do that appearance, right? Well, 
every sponsor on our car, every sticker has driver appearances. And there's only two drivers. Yes. So like the, all of that responsibility falls on the two of us. So we have to be representatives for all these different companies. So we have to know how to speak to companies, how to speak to media. Because if you can't, they'll just replace you with somebody who can. Yeah. Well, and that's what I, I noticed right away was that IndyCar especially took to Twitter and social media before a lot of other mediums. Mm-hmm. You know, and in hockey, we're at the point now where it's like guys are finally allowing themselves to show their personality a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, like, don't you guys think that there's a, a huge plus side to being able to show that and show your emotion and who you are as a person, you know, not just for your job in the sport, but even afterwards? It's a slippery slope, though, because yeah. things like social media, especially mm-hmm. Twitter, you can get bit real quick. You know, I mean, this, there are countless stories of, of hockey players, football players, racing drivers, whatever, that say the wrong thing in the heat of the moment. And when you are you know, essentially responsible for the image of all these companies or all those clubs or whatever you're associated with, you have to be very careful. So yes, I do think it's a great way to, to showcase personality. There are so many guys that we race with that if you only knew them from their 30 second interview after a race, you'd be like, oh, that guy's a deadbeat. Like I would never want to hang out with that guy. You got, those guys, whatever. you got a million of them in hockey. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But then you get them away from the track and you're like, man, this guy's awesome. He's, he's a beauty. Like, yeah, he's an absolute <laughs> This guy beauty. was riding a mechanical bowl without a shirt on. Right. You know, like right. Just, yeah. <laughs> and so it does. It, it gives, uh, it does give fans a little bit of an insight into who we are as people. And that's very important because if you don't have a personal connection you're less likely to follow it, right? Like the amount of people that I meet that are not IndyCar fans that they're like, oh, now we know you, we'll start watching. And I run into them a year later. They're like, we've watched every race since we met you. It's so cool knowing somebody that's in there. And so what do you root for? So so, social media is a big part of that. You touched on it earlier here about flipping the switch. You know, when you're getting ready for a race, Marcus, when is that moment where you feel like I'm ready, let's go. It's time to get it going. I mean, you do a lot of preparations obviously before it and then, you know, it goes a lot into it, but but actually, like, it's, again, you, you you sort of put the gear on, uh, the kit on, and you sit in the car, and then it's like you know a couple of minutes ago, and that's when you sort of switch on. It's it's that's the time you have, you know, and you don't really have a choice, you know. Like if you switched on twenty minutes before that, it wouldn't really work in our mm-hmm. sport, you know. So that's the weird thing, but like it's something that you learn throughout the years, and you learn to perfect it. And now I don't see it as a problem, you know. Like I'm on the grid there, and I'm talking to people, and like. It's not a problem for me, but uh, it's it's definitely very different to every other sport. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, was, is it a different dynamic to as when you were a goaltender? Yeah, for sure. Because then, you know, you would sit in, in... I remember being a goalie, you know, before a game, I would sit for half an hour, you know, there thinking on my own in the in the, in the locker room, you know, going through things. You and, were you the know, guy that gave us a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> There's Marcus in the corner yeah. again. He's not talking you know, to anybody. The weird goalie, you know. Yeah. Everyone thinks the goals Suck are weird. In the corner. You know? right. so, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely... It's, it's so different, you know. It's so different. I remember asking a reporter, you know, because the Indy 500 is the same thing. Right? It's our biggest race. It's our Super Bowl. It's our Stanley Cup. It's our everything. And same thing, the grid is littered with people and it's sponsors and it's fans and it's media, whatever. 300,000 plus people. Right before you're going 220 miles an hour wheel to wheel with 32 other, you know, nut jobs. (laughs) And you have no time to yourself until you strap into the car and you get about six minutes to get your stuff together. And I remember asking a reporter, I was like, let's put this into perspective. You've covered Super Bowls, right? Uh, What's the latest before kickoff you would get to talk to Tom Brady? And the response was Thursday. Not three minutes before. Thursday. You got Robin Miller with a mic in your face on the grid, right? 72 (laughs) hours. We get six minutes. You know, so from that time on, Tom Brady's only talking to coaches, players, you know, whoever he wants. 
we're literally shaking hands with sponsors and taking selfies with fans until six minutes before the Indianapolis 500. It's crazy, man. What was it like, Marcus, for you to do your first Indianapolis 500 this year? It was like nothing I've ever done before. I mean, I've done Monaco, I've done Spa, I've done Monza in Formula One, which is like unbelievable races and like super special. And, you know, I'm very proud I've done these races. But for me, the Indianapolis 500 beats them all, you know, like just the whole month as well, you know, like for me, that's also part of it. It's not only race day. Race day is amazing with all the fans, you know, it's, it's just surreal, the whole race day. But the whole build up, it adds to the race so much, you know, you, you're there for the whole month. It's just building up to it. You know, you have practice, you have practice, you have qualifying weekend, you have more practice, you have all the events in the city. It's just something else, you know, and, and that's... And then, you know, you turn up on races, 300,000 people there. It's, it's just, it's not like anything else I've ever done. And, and for me, like, it was just so amazing. And, and I got so, like, emotionally attached to the race as well. So, yeah, I, I, I you know, I hope I will do it for, for many, many years I mean, to come. I feel know? that as a fan of the sport. And obviously, like, I know some of you guys within and out. But still, just walking into Gasoline Alley, I get chills. Yeah. And I've never raced anything like this. It's just the feel of that huge place. It's such a... a iconic American event. I tell everybody it's a bucket list American, North American event like that. But I got a funny story for you, Hinch, re- related to the Indianapolis 500. So I went in, what was your Rossi one? Was it 2016? Okay, so I'm there that year and my daughter's watching at home. She's like three, four at the time. And she thinks I'm in the race <laughs> because Perfect. you were my doppelganger. Right. Because <laughs> yes. I guess we both had beards at the time. Yeah. Have you had that happen before? Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing, man. I'm, I'm like a 5'9", 5'10", white guy with a beard and brown hair. So, like, anyone else that has that, people, like, I get tweets all the time where people are like, oh, you look just like my boyfriend or you look just like my son. And, like, all these pictures attached. And, like, and my yeah. daughter can't tell you're 5'9". I'm 6'2". Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. On TV, it adds a couple yeah. inches, right? It's fine. But yeah, so no, it's, I mean, I, I'm a very nondescript, I think. I, I can look like a lot of people if they grow a bit of facial hair and have dark hair. Check a lot of boxes, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I got two more quick ones. I mean, Hinch, you had an amazing experience going on Dancing with the Stars a couple of years ago. Yeah. Finished as a runner-up. Did you know that you had that inner athlete? Because oh. I'm watching what you're doing on stage. And first off, you were shredded, so congratulations <laughs> on, I mean, it probably helped, you know, move along the engagement, I guess. Yeah. I don't know, but what was that like to go in to do something completely foreign like that and be so successful with it? Man, it was, it was a crazy experience and, and I'll, and I'll kind of try it somewhat up quickly. I, I never would have done it before my accident. So I had my accident in 2015 and after that, it sort of changed how I looked at a lot of things in life and I used to worry about a lot of little things that didn't really matter. And when this opportunity came up, a year prior, I would have been like, absolutely not. Go do something I've never done before in front of 10 million people live on television every week. Zero chance. But then, you know, 2016 me was just kind of like, yeah, why not? Who cares? So you trip dancing. No one cares. It'll be fun. It'll be different. Like, challenge yourself. Do something outside your comfort zone. And that was very, very much outside my comfort zone. And, but you uh, excelled at it, man. It looked like you were having fun, too. You know what? It's the end of the first night. So I was terrified the whole time, right? Like, absolutely terrified. And the end of the first night, a scoreboard comes up. And then the athlete in me, the competitor in me was like, oh, this is a competition. Like, they're keeping score. Now I have to win. And so I just started working so much harder, pushing myself, really diving into it. And, and it, made, it made all the difference. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's amazing. Well, one last question for both of you here, too. So I'll go, Marcus, to you first on it. What makes a great race? I mean, do you have to win the race to be out there and have fun and feel accomplished? Or is there more to it than that? I think if that's still, I mean, this is the ultimate goal. We're all here to win. But, like, racing is a sport where, 
we were touching on it before, like it's 22, 25 guys out there driving and, and it's only one guy that's winning. So like, it's a lot of days you go home after a race and you're disappointed for sure. But also you learn with the years, I think, that you also take like, uh, you can see your, your performance, you know, like you can see that, you know, today I did everything right. You know, I did everything I could today and you can take like, you will not be 100% happy because you are not 100% happy until you win. You're like it's impossible. You have a shutout as a goalie, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. but still like I can go away from a race where I finished whatever, you know, sixth or fourth or third or whatever. But I can see that, you know, today I did maximum. I didn't do a mistake. I did everything I could with what I had, you know, with the car I had today. I really felt like I got too much, everything out of it. And I think then you can take a lot of satisfaction from it, but 100% it's only when you win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just basically echoing what he says, because, you know, you there there are a lot of teams over the course of a season that can win more games than they lose, right? There's literally never been a racing driver that's won more races than he's lost, because you're not facing one opponent, you're facing 20-plus opponents. And so, yeah, there are days where you're, you know you maximized what you had and you can be proud of those days. But, yeah, I mean, the only reason we show up every Sunday morning is to go win. <laughs> You're always digging, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what was Justin Wilson? You always had something in your pocket, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, right? he always had two tents in his pocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, man, this has been a pleasure. I'm so happy we could chat in person. Thanks so much, and I, I wish you guys the best the rest of the year. Safe racing, fun racing for that matter. Thank you, sir. Thanks again for joining me. Thank of you course. So Thanks for having us on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Please make sure that you like, comment, leave a rating, subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.